Hi, and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast. Episode 6, The Maya. Today we will be jumping back in time a bit from the Aztecs' last episode. We will also be moving to the south of Mesoamerica to deal with the Maya. You probably know a bit about the Maya. They're one of the most famous Native American civilizations, and their pyramids and cities are known throughout the world. What you might not know, however, is that they still very much exist today. Unlike many other Mesoamerican civilizations, such as the Aztecs, who were integrated into the general Mexican mestizo culture, the Mayans retained their own sense of identity. Of course, they don't live in the way which they did before the Spanish arrived. However, large parts of their culture remain intact. They live largely in southern Mexico and Guatemala, and these places are great travel destinations. They're also magnets for anthropologists who want to study the Maya people. Much, much later we'll discuss this as the podcast reaches modern history. For now, though, I just thought I'd begin by sharing this fascinating bit of information. This episode and the next will be dealing with the pre-Columbian Maya. So let's start at the beginning. The first known evidence of human habitation in what would become the Maya lands dates from around 10,000 BC. It consists of spear points as well as fire residue found at a place called Los Tapiales in Guatemala. We know very little about the people who left these behind. They may not have even been the ancestors of the Maya. A few thousand years later, the first villages started appearing and agriculture began to be practiced. These villages were laid out in a familiar pattern, one which was to be retained by the Maya right up until the present day. Simply put, each village consisted of a collection of houses built around a central square or plaza. This central square was a communal space that was used by everyone for working, relaxing and socialising. They would also have been used for small-scale agriculture, and this would have been communal, that is, it was owned and worked by everyone. The food produced here would have been shared and used to feed the whole village. Larger settlements would have consisted of multiple sets of these squares and their surrounding houses, and this is also how they laid out their temple complexes. As I said earlier, this layout continued to be used throughout the Golden Age of the Maya, and right up until today. Each one of these squares and its surrounding houses formed the basic unit around which Mayan society was built. The communal nature of the central plaza, the food which was produced there, gives an interesting insight into Mayan society and mindset. We are unsure where these first Maya came from. We don't know how they were related to other civilizations and peoples nearby. We don't have enough evidence to really say anything. Furthermore, Large-scale excavation has only really started in the last few decades. This means that theories are constantly being changed and refined as new evidence does come to light. The old mother or sister culture debate surrounding the Olmecs also comes into play here. We're unsure if the Maya were influenced by the Olmecs or not. They may have followed the example that the Olmecs set, or they may have developed the idea to form city-states independently. From roughly 2000 BC, the first cities started to develop. It is around the same time that the Maya really started to develop their own unique culture, one that was related to, but different from those of their neighbours. Like the Mesoamerican civilizations described in earlier episodes, Mayan culture started to be based around cities. 
These cities and their surrounding farmlands became the basic unit of the state. As we discussed with the Aztecs, this is different from the traditional European conception of the nation-state. Unlike the Aztecs, however, or the Zapotecs, the Maya never convalesced into one unified empire. No one city rose to dominance, and the Maya were never united. The various cities did compete and fight with each other. Sometimes strong ones would exert influence over their neighbours, however they never got much further than this. This is why we talk about the Mayan culture, rather than the Mayan state or empire. While they did form one cultural block, they were not homogenous. They spoke many different languages, for example. Of course, these languages were related, and some may have been mutually intelligible, but they were different nonetheless. The layout of the village, which I described earlier, was known as the Plazuela. The Mayan cities, which developed later, were just expanded versions of these plazuelas. Rather than being purely residential, however, like the villages, the early cities were largely ceremonial places. Around the main central plaza, the ruler's housing complex would have been built. Everything built around this plaza would have been dedicated to the running of his household and life. Each temple would have had its own plaza, and again, all the buildings surrounding this plaza would have been dedicated towards the running of the temple. Housing areas would exist as well, but much of the population would live in villages outside the city. This is very different to the Aztec cities, and to our conception of what a city should be. Mayan cities were largely religious and administrative centres, rather than places of large population. Instead, most people lived in their communal villages and worked their communal land. Around the time that these cities started appearing, so too did pottery and stone carving. Buildings also started to get larger and grander. The cities, however, and the complexity of Mayan society were still pretty small and simple compared to later. To put this into context, the Mayan were starting to develop cities around the same time that the Olmec were flourishing. This was the pre-classical era of Mesoamerican history. This stage of Mayan development is thought to have lasted until around 300 AD. It was a formative time for the Maya, upon which their later achievements would be built. This is the traditional view anyway. There's no doubt that we are long before the Golden Age of Mayan civilization. Some historians, however, have pointed to recent archaeological discoveries to argue that maybe these first cities were a bit more developed than we originally thought. The, forgive my pronunciation, Caminaljulu archaeological site is thought to have been occupied as early as 1500 BC, and we're only just starting to get an idea of how big it may have been. It's thought that this may have been the first great city of the Mayan civilization. We know little about it, however, not just because of its age, but also because the modern capital of Guatemala has been built right on top of it. This of course makes excavation difficult, and when housing was being built on top of it, little care was taken to protect the site. The city thrived thanks to nearby obsidian mines, and this precious good was traded all over Mesoamerica. Vast amounts of broken pottery have also been found here. It looks like the city must have produced this on an industrial scale. It also appears that much of this pottery may have been destroyed purposely and all at the same time. 
At the moment, however, we have no idea why this might be. In one burial mound, an average of 7,000 shards of pottery have been found per cubic foot of soil. Whether this was a result of war, some kind of religious ritual, or some other reason, we just don't know. What the site does tell us, however, is that the early centre of Mayan power and culture was firmly in the south, in Guatemala. While many of the grandest and most famous Mayan ruins are to be found in southern Mexico, it seems that the culture had its origins in Guatemala. Alongside Caminal Huyo, the cities of Nakba, Chocola and Takalik Abaj are all within Guatemalan territory and they were all important centres of early Mayan culture. It was later, during the classical period, that the Maya really reached their peak. This began around 250 AD, and it's during this time that many of the features of Mayan civilization, which we would recognize today, were created. The Golden Age of the Maya, then, was around the same time that Teotihuacan was at its height. This is also when Monte Alban was strongest. The classical period lasted several hundred years, but it began more than a thousand years before the Aztecs. During this time, there was an explosion in population in the number of cities, and the size of these cities. While Guatemala and parts of Honduras and El Salvador remained important, power started to shift up into Mexico, up to Chiapas, and in particular the Yucatan Peninsula. One of the surprising things about the Maya is that they seem to thrive in regions which don't seem to be the best locations to build great cities and civilizations. The Yucatan Peninsula, as well as the Petén region of Guatemala, are both low-lying, jungle, swampy places. They are hot and humid, and it would have taken a lot of effort to clear the jungle and create land suitable for farming. Yet it was in these places that several great cities rose. Chichen Itza, El Mirador and Corbá can all be found here. Some of these have now been turned into popular tourist attractions. They are easily accessible and are always packed with tour groups. Others, however, were swallowed up by the jungle. This can make them exceedingly difficult to excavate. If anyone listening is considering going to visit some Mayan ruins, and they think of themselves as the adventurous type, I recommend visiting El Mirador. This is located in Guatemala, and while I've not been myself, I'm told it's a great way to see some ruins and escape the crowds. It takes five days to trek there and back, much of this through pristine rainforest. You are guaranteed to have the place to yourself. It is also believed to have been one of the most important Maya cities, although, thanks to its remote location, there has been very little excavation done. I have heard it said that its Great Pyramid may be the biggest in the world, beating even the Egyptian ones. Much of the site, however, is still buried in the jungle. The other geographical region which the Maya inhabited are the highlands of Guatemala and Chiapas. It is very different here to the lowlands of Yucatan. The altitude means that it gets quite cold sometimes. While they may not have had to battle against the encroaching jungle, the land here is not especially fertile. Again, however, the Maya conquered their environment and built some great cities here. Judging by the size of its buildings, it's thought that Tonina may have been the most powerful. To build cities as big as they did, during this era the Maya must have experienced a population boom. In order to achieve this, they must have been extremely skilled farmers. 
It must have been extremely difficult to squeeze enough food out of this unfertile land to feed the growing population. The most powerful Mayan cities of this time were based right in the centre of their cultural sphere. This corresponds roughly with the region of Patan and the southern Yucatan. Tikal, Coba, Palenque and Calakmul are all found in this area and they were some of the most powerful. The relative strength of different cities, however, would have varied throughout time. As new evidence comes to light, historians are constantly forced to reassess which cities were most powerful at which times. The more powerful cities of the centre would attempt to create powerful networks of trade and influence. These would normally include the weaker cities of the north and the south. They would then use this network of shifting alliances to get one up on their rivals. The smaller cities would agree to come under the influence of their powerful neighbours in order to give them some clout when challenging their own rivals. Of course, the Maya world did not exist in a vacuum. It would interact with other Mesoamerican cultures. Sometimes this would be peaceful, through trade for example. Other times, it would be through war. An example of this can be found in the 4th century. For unknown reasons, the city of Tikal found itself at war with the great Teotihuacan. It appears that Teotihuacan sent down an invasion force and placed their own dynasty on the throne. This was not the only example of a foreign power interfering in Mayan politics. There is a school of thought amongst academics that the Toltecs, those people the Aztecs loved so much, somehow influenced or maybe outright invaded the Mayan city of Chichen Itza. While this theory is not accepted by everyone, there is some evidence to suggest that it happened. Like the Aztecs, the people of Teotihuacan had a special place for the god Quetzalcoatl. While this deity was part of the Mayan pantheon, he doesn't seem to have had much importance to them. In Chichen Itza, however, carvings of him can be found everywhere. There are also many architectural similarities between the Toltec city of Tula and Chichen Itza. Of course, the truth of this theory probably rests on the truth of the Toltecs themselves. As we are unsure as to how powerful the Toltecs really were, we can't be sure about whether they controlled Chichen Itza or not. Having just mentioned Quetzalcoatl, it seems like as good a time as any to talk about Mesoamerican religion. As you may have noticed, religion in the region was fluid. Deities and practices crossed cultural borders. We tend to think of religions as wholes, as complete self-contained units. Christianity is different to Islam, which is different to Judaism, which in turn is different to Hinduism. Of course, even some basic study of these religions shows that they have some common roots. There is overlap. The Torah, for example, the Jewish holy book, is of course the Old Testament of the Christian Bible. Although they look different, the theoretical and spiritual underpinnings of Islam, Christianity and Judaism all have much in common. The same is true in Mesoamerica. I think, however, the best comparison can be found in the pagan religions of Europe. Let's think about the Germanic people. A long time ago, they started spreading out. Their religions started to differ, despite many similarities remaining. One of the most important gods in Scandinavia was Odin, while in Germany it was Woden. These were more or less the same god, 
but as time and distance separated the people, so the gods started to diverge. At the same time, the Romans, who were also a polytheistic people, would adopt the gods of the people they conquered. They would often equate them with their own and create strange hybrids. In different places, different gods were given different levels of importance. A god may be worshipped in one way in one place, but in another place the same god may be worshipped completely differently. What I'm trying to say here is that religion is often fluid. There are grey areas between different religions, and religions borrow gods and practices from each other all the time. If a group of people following the same religion become separated by distance and or time, their religion will start to diverge and evolve into two different ones. The Mayan religion, that of the Aztecs, the Zapotecs, the Mixtec, they all had a common root. They all influenced each other and shared gods. They were not the same religion, but they weren't completely different either. There was a pool of Mesoamerican deities which different civilizations would draw from. Some would be raised up from obscurity by new empires. Others lost influence and were forgotten. Practices such as human sacrifice or philosophical ideas would run through many different Mesoamerican civilizations. The way they were expressed, however, would be different. Most civilizations had their own set of myths. These were unique but often involve characters found in other civilizations' myths. This is why the presence of Quetzalcoatl at Chichen Itza is not definitive proof of a Toltec invasion. Sure, the Toltecs loved Quetzalcoatl, and most Mayan cities didn't seem to give him much importance. It seems strange, then, that he would be given importance at Chichen Itza. This, coupled with other evidence, such as the architectural similarities, could lead you to the conclusion that the Toltecs must have had some kind of influence on them. It could just be coincidence, however. Maybe the people of Chichen Itza, for some reason, just decided they really liked Quetzalcoatl, much more than the rest of their Mayan cousins. We will talk more about the specifics of Mayan religion next episode. Some of the beliefs and myths specific to their culture are truly fascinating. We will also discuss their society and how it was structured, as well as their eventual collapse. Until then, thanks for listening. 